And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Friday, March 26th. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, and Britt Giroli back with us on this Friday. Lots to get to. We had a terrible week for injuries. Someone turned the injuries back on for the upcoming season. So we'll talk about Eloy Jimenez and Zach Gallen, Kirby Yates, and Nick Anderson. We're going to talk about some of the most exciting teams to watch in 2021. We're going to dig a little deeper than San Diego. I promise. We're all going to watch San Diego, but who else are we going to be tuning into once these games begin to count? Uh, we had a piece from Eno asking a question I've wondered about for a long time. Does a pitcher's command improve with age? So we'll dig into that as well. Britt, welcome back. How was Arizona? Oh, it was it was great, guys. I got to say, I had heard so much about how great it was, and it lived up to the expectations. It's sunny. You don't worry about rain delays. Uh, you can get to pretty much every mm. complex within 40 minutes, which is remarkable for those of us used to the, you know, three hours drive across Alligator Alley in Florida. Um, obviously, not normal. You weren't able to talk to most players. You didn't have the access with COVID, but I can see why... People go to Arizona and get just a lot of stuff done. You could ideally go to a camp in the morning and go to another game in the afternoon without missing a beat. And I think that's so valuable. Um, so yeah, it's really could do cool. Four camps then, in two days for sure. And I yeah. saw you hiked. It's good hiking. I did. I did. It's great. It's great. You know, I've always been more of a mountains girl than a beach person myself. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I get bored of the beach after a little while. I'm not a huge fan of sand. It ends up everywhere. Uh, so, <laughs> so I, uh, I'm definitely more of a, of a mountain person. I'm, I look forward to going to Arizona again next year. That's for sure. Really, really a good time. Hopefully, um, I could see Eno out there and we can have drinks and be able to be like a normal Arizona spring training, right? Hopefully. Yeah, I'm even hoping to go there this fall. The for Arizona Fall League used to be uh, a regular trip, and uh, you know, it hasn't been. But uh, I would love to go there this fall and 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 be, and go to the fall. The fall league is great too because like it's just all the best prospects in one place, and yeah. you know, so it's a fun time. Yeah, maybe it's the year to get an Airbnb for like seven weeks and just be there for the entire fall league. Maybe that's the year to do that because then it's like move. get it all out. Just get all that wanderlust out in one <laughs> shot, even in a place that's familiar. Get all the hiking done. Do the two-a-days for the fall league games. You know, Watch playoff games at night. Like, There's a lot, of, a lot of good things about Arizona at that time of year, especially. You know, how'd your wife feel about that if you just spent seven weeks in Arizona? Pretty sure yeah, that the... Yeah, I wouldn't have to bother coming back. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the locks would be changed. <laughs> yeah, who's that? Who's at the front door? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, things are, things are going really well right now. My wife's finishing her dissertation, so I'm very stressed out because she's very stressed out. So I just want to like get away from the ball of stress that is my little slice of the world, which is a two-bedroom oh, apartment. Yeah, in March. March. When, yeah, like I'm fun busy with drafts and things, but then I'm also busy busy on top of that. And it's just, uh, it, it's a lot right now. So the idea of seven weeks of like waking up, drinking a cup of coffee while staring at a mountain and watching two baseball games <laughs> Sounds incredibly relaxing to me right Maybe now. Maybe even three nice. with the playoffs. Yeah, three, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll uh, I'll pull the the Grant Brisby. He was talking about his kids were were doing Zoom school back when the pandemic started, and they were complaining to him like, "Dad, the internet's running too slow." And he's like, "I'm watching four baseball games at once and levitating, and my kids can't do their actual homework and their schoolwork because I'm using all the bandwidth." But um, that's where I want to be. I want to be like Grant without the uh, parental obligations. I think that's the that's the sweet spot. Uh, let's get into some of the news <laughs> items, though, from this week. Eloy Jimenez probably out for all of 2021. It's not confirmed yet. It's five to six months with a ruptured pectoral tendon. So 
if you're optimistic about the White Sox and you say, hey, six months, they could be a playoff team. Maybe he's back when it matters the most. Um, it's possible. And I think the problem they have right now is their internal options are pretty limited. We went through every team and talked about depth on this show. And the White Sox were a team that we liked in terms of all their starters, but they didn't have a really interesting bench. So they're particularly vulnerable to losing a middle-of-the-order hitter of Jimenez's caliber. So I'm going to run through some options. The internal options, Nick Williams, who's in camp as an NRI. Adam Engel's hurt right now, so he's not an option. Lurie Garcia is a utility guy. He could play more. And Billy Hamilton, I think, is around as an NRI right now. So a lot of defensive options. I mean, Nick Williams on paper is kind of interesting. They are going to play Andrew Vaughn in left field in a Cactus League game on Friday. So that's also part of the internal group of options. You're seeing free agent rumors. Puig, Braun, and Cespedes all thrown out there as possible fits. And then, of course, there are eight teams, as many as eight teams interested in trading for Mike Talkman, the kind of spare outfielder for the Yankees, thanks to their reunion with Brett Gardner. So I think it's probably going to be a case where it's someone not in the organization who leads the White Sox in playing time in left field this year. But what do you guys think happens in the short term? Is it an immediate trade or is it trying to hold it together for a little while and seeing how things play out in the first few weeks of the season before making an actual move. I don't see how you can hold out. Do you guys? I mean, you've got an AL Central where that's going to be good. If you were the NL Central where no one's really trying, you could maybe try and piece it together like the Cincinnati Just throw them under the bus. Doing. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I wrote a story that like mentioned in passing that like four people when I was in Arizona were like, what are the Reds doing? And man, the Reds fan base is an angry bunch. Say what you will about, you know, the Nationals, the Orioles. Those people are The realists. Yankees fan base. Uh, yeah, the Yankees, like you do, so, like you call the team out and it's correct and they're all for you. But like you say something bad about the Reds, you would have thought that the the team was on track to be the Dodgers. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, I think the, I think the White Sox cannot afford to wait around because this could be his whole season. Right. We are saying August as a tentative thing. This could be his whole season. And also for the White Sox, you've got a Twins team that, you know, is going to be good. You can't really afford to wait and see and fall behind and have a really bad month or two while you figure it out. The, the only response I have to that is that, you know, the, the NBA trade deadline just happened. And um, you don't trade for LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, I'm sorry if you don't know who any of these players are. It's basketball. I like basketball. But you don't what trade for... What podcast is this? Yeah, right. You don't <laughs> trade for LaMarcus Aldridge because you know his team will buy him out. So, uh, for example, with the Talkman thing, you could just wait. And, and play the waiting game with the Yankees and be like, well, you got two bats. I could use one of them. I'm not going to give you anything for it. I'll just wait till you have to cut one. So I'll just go into the season with Nick Williams and Billy Hamilton. Billy Hamilton replaces Adam Engel and Nick Williams replaces uh, Eloy and Vaughn plays DH. And I'm going to pretend like that's good enough. And then, oh, look, I get a free Jay Bruce. Right. What? And now I and now I move Vaughn to to the left field and Bruce plays DH or, or I do I play some games. There's going to be a, a class of players that becomes available in the next week. Why won't you just sign Josh Reddick? It's a he's got no leverage. He's got no other jobs. I mean, there's, so there's you the can get yo, him pretty there's cheap. Yo, there's like Yo, there's Cespedes, Puig, yo Reddick, Yo. Yo and Puig with Tony La Russa is a nightmare waiting to happen. I think you have got to realize that, right? Probably. Two, uncontrollable personalities in that clubhouse, which already we think is going to be either really good or really bad under Tony La Russa, such an old school guy. Why not just sign Josh Reddick? If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. He's not going to command a ton of money. He has no leverage. Does it Yo really have that same? Opening day. Does Yo really have that same? Um, the guy reputation? packed up his hotel room and didn't tell the Mets he was leaving. Yeah, I guess. He injured himself chasing a wild boar. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And Puig, for those who aren't aware, is being sued in court, I know. in criminal I know about court. Puig. I've, um, I've seen, okay. I've, I've covered Puig. I've seen, I've seen it. So I, I've seen it. <laughs> if I'm the White Sox, I don't have depth. I, I kind of see your point, you know, but I'm going to argue with it. Didn't you guys mm. miss me? Um, <laughs> welcome I, back. I don't, I, exactly. Welcome back, Brittany. Um, I just don't understand why you wouldn't just do that. If it doesn't work out, Okay, then you go on the trade market. Then you evaluate your options. So who's the, the trade you doing? want? You want to trade for Talkman? 
No, I don't trade. I add Josh Reddick. And then if he doesn't work out, the Yankees are sitting on basically a guy who's not playing, not doing anything. Then you make a trade. Mm-hmm. Then there also could be other guys available at that point in time. There could, I mean, the, the whole landscape, and I think we're going to get into this later, is very quickly, It's it's been like injury riddled this last few days after a fairly quiet spring. So to me, if you're the White Sox, why not just add a, a guy who you know is serviceable there? They don't have any great, if they had a serviceable option, none of those names Derek listed inspire any confidence in me. And also, how are you replacing a 30 plus home run guy? You're just not. Yeah. And the nice thing about Reddick is that he makes contact. So, you know, if there's a, the worst case scenario, he's putting some balls in play. And the rest of that lineup is pretty good, except some of them strike out a fair amount. So you put a guy in there who can make contact and keep the ball moving while the other guys, you know, swing and miss and hit homers. You know, I'm kind of curious to know what happened to Nick Williams exactly. He had a 110 WRC plus in 2017. He was at 102 in 2018, both of those seasons in Philly. 2019 spent a good chunk of the year at AAA, was well above average, a 141 WRC plus, a little old for the level as a 25-year-old, and just could not make contact in very limited chances with the Phillies in 2019. Like He's probably a little better than your typical NRI, given the big league track record. So... To Eno's point, I do think you could probably hold it together a little while if you if you don't get a deal you like. You know, if you get something you like better sooner, every game matters in the AL Central. I, I would agree with you, Britt. It's a three-team race. Maybe the Royals hang around and make it a four-team race, depending on how some of those veteran moves they made hold up and how aggressive they are with some of their young players. Like you can't afford to wait long, but I feel like Nick Williams has been forgotten about as a former second-round pick whose big league track record actually isn't that bad. I think you, you use Lurie Garcia as your backup center fielder. Yeah, backup well. shortstop, backup center fielder. If you do that, then you can go more offense, and you don't have to keep Billy Hamilton. Then you can keep Nick Williams and acquire somebody you have for offense. Because you are trying to, you're trying to yeah. replace the offense more than anything. You're not trying to replace the defense. Right, yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's another avenue. It's it, it's unfortunate because he's just a fun player to watch. This is a guy who could have been an uh, AL MVP legitimately. Yeah, yeah, definitely that good of a hitter. I think their projected win total, by the way, according to Fangraphs, is eighty four. Uh, looking at the rest of that division, it is very very close. Cleveland sitting at eighty. That's a little surprising. The Royals at seventy seven. And the Twins are up at 87. They so. may not have a wild card as a consolation prize. True. I mean, I would I would assume that at least one wild card comes out of the AL East. Agreed. And then I would I would say that the AL West probably produces a wild card. So they may it may be one or done in the in the Central. So yeah, may may every game may matter. So I, I I'm 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 open to that. I just wanted to point out that you know as cuts happen. Uh, there may be they may be able to snipe somebody from a deeper team um, as they make cuts. That's true. This is an interesting time. I'm glad you mentioned that because there's so much movement this last week here, right? Guys who don't make teams, guys who have opt outs in their contracts where they become free agents. Um, this is going to be an interesting like shuffle around here. And I'm I don't know about you guys. I'm still adjusting to who's on what team because I feel like 2020 was surreal. I'm constantly watching a game, and I'm like, "Oh, they got get, they got that guy." <laughs> like I'm finally, I'm finally catching up, and there's gonna be a flurry of moves here. So pay attention. <laughs> the other big news item, well, there's a few, but the other really big one that's really sad from a young player perspective is Zach Gallen has a hairline fracture in his right forearm. Uh, this actually happened, I think, when he was working on some kind of hitting activity. I don't know if he was bunting or, or what exactly he was doing at the time, but jammed by the pitching machine that's like that's like me getting jammed yeah. but in bp by andrew vaughn's dad <laughs> <laughs> it's a <Yikes>. little embarrassing <laughs> yeah it, it's it's just frustrating because it, it's yet another pitching injury that didn't occur while pitching and gallon of course for his career so far has been spectacular a 278 era through his first 27 big league starts a 117 whip easy to see him as the best starter in Arizona. I think we've recognized that. Dark Horse Cy Young. Yes, like that kind yeah. of ceiling. So I, I think he's a lot harder to replace, even though Arizona's starting pitching depth is a little bit better than people might give it credit for. I'm a big Corbin Martin fan. I think, you know, you are also a big Corbin Martin fan. So my hope is that he'll get an opportunity sooner than he would have otherwise. But losing Gallon 
takes the very slim playoff hopes, which would be well, miraculous wild card in Arizona, and just about eliminates them. It's a really weird injury because they haven't ruled him out. He pitched through it. He pitched the whole game through it. And they haven't ruled him out for opening day, and he's still throwing. At the same time, there's a fracture in there. It's a fracture that's not in a place that would you. Would, it's not a pitching injury, right? It's a fracture from hitting, so it's just in a different place. But he said it hurts when he throws his breaking ball. It's a little bit like an oblique thing where they just. I think they're just going to wait until it doesn't hurt, and then he can yeah. throw. And so, with an oblique, you're. It's frustrating because you're like, well, give me a timeline. Well, I don't know, man. It's like I wake up and I I toss a little bit. I try to throw a curveball. It hurts. Try again tomorrow or take three days off. Try again in three days. So, uh, you know, we're just going to we're just gonna be waiting. But I think Martin, I think it would be safe to say that Gallon loses at least a couple starts from this. Uh, stress fractures, too, are really small and sometimes don't require a cast. And if they're not separated, if it doesn't separate from the bone at all, um, rest, rest is like the only thing they tell you to do. Um, yeah. and, and it can maybe not take that long. You know, because bones, bones actually heal better than ligaments is, is what I gather. Yeah. Well, the thing with the stress fractures though, and you mentioned the oblique, which is a good parallel is you run the risk every time you test it of re-injuring. Yeah. If it's not fully healed. Here's what I think. Here's my first thought about this whole thing is this guy is going to become the absolute poster child for why pitchers should not be hitting anymore. Because I think there was another issue with another pitcher where he, who was it? The, earlier in spring, like running the bases or whatever, and he ended up being okay. But, uh, you know, why are these guys taking swings in the batting cages, right? Why are these commodities? Why are these starters doing these things that very clearly they're not they're not preparing for anymore? I think you can make the case that, you know, these guys are athletes and they should be able to do both. But I think it's very clear that hitting is such an afterthought for them. It's not a big part of most guys' regimen, even in the NL, uh, where it should be. And in the AL, certainly not. I remember... Two, three days before they played interleague, the Orioles pitchers for the first time would be hitting. And it's like, well, what could go wrong there? Everything could go wrong there. Um, I think you look at Gallon. <laughs> Max and... practicing bunting and broke his yeah, nose. <laughs> exactly. Like, I think as much as they want to hit and as much as like, it's just not, it, the game has become, starting pitching has become so exhausting right you know you've talked about the the velos that people are throwing at and you know the the between start regimen has become such a thing that they just simply do not have time to also become hitters and it's just a hazard and i think this gallon situation is absolutely going to come up when they negotiate the new cba and decide probably on the universal dh because a team like arizona this is a huge blow and how could you prevent it from happening well he could not be taking swings in the batting cages they, you know, pitchers also specialize from such an early age. We're talking about high schools where most high school leagues are, have DHs and uh, your colleges are, are mostly DH. And uh, so you'll have players. Uh, I tell the story a lot, but there was this player, uh, ooh, Andrew Suarez, who came up with the with the Giants. And his first at bat in the big leagues was his first at bat since high school. So he'd had like six years, seven years where you hadn't, you know, taken it at bat, uh, like a single one. <laughs> and the announcers are like, let's see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> That's when they tell you to stand up there and not swing. Exactly. You know, like yeah. just, just see some pitches. It's just the rookie of the year. It's, it's Henry Rowengartner stepping into the box and basically just don't get hit. Like just don't hurt yourself and everything will be fine. Uh, but yeah, going that long without taking that bat would be almost impossible. Uh, a couple more injury items to get to. Kirby Yates is likely headed for a second Tommy John surgery. By all indications, his only season in Toronto isn't going to happen at all. And, uh, you know, you've talked about Jordan Romano as a, a fallback option for saves in the Blue Jays bullpen. I was surprised to learn I was reading, I think it was Ken Rosenthal's piece from sometime this week. The Braves had actually worked on a deal with Yates and decided not to follow through, not to complete it because of cons concerns with his arm. So uh, had I known that prior to learning it this week, I probably would have been a little less optimistic about Yates staying healthy all season and taking over that ninth inning role in Toronto. He he arrived and said, I feel about 85, 90%. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, then he threw in the 93s. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't have a single share anywhere. I I was uh, I was worried about that one from the get go. Yeah, good good eye, good call. Uh, but the Jays, I think, are they're fine pitching depth wise. I mean, I, the Thomas Hatch, Julian Merriweather love on our podcast probably exceeds Could turn that into of a anything. Oh yeah, well, and other guys that are kind of interesting. Tyler Chatwood in short relief is fun. Like you don't always know where it's going, but Tyler Chatwood has really good stuff. Trent Thornton's healthy again. I like him a lot more as a short reliever than as a possible starter. David Phelps is there. Yeah, Ryan Barucki, Lariano. Like they got they just got a decent mix of names. So losing Yates hurts. I mean, you always want to have that lockdown great late inning guy if you can find an extra one to add, but they didn't have a bad bullpen before they added him. So I think they're gonna probably find some way to still get quality from that roster spot. I'm just kind of curious to see who it is that emerges to do it. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I think, obviously, the Blue Jays, and I think Ken had this in his story with the Padres, like, you knew this was a possibility, right? You knew this was, like, a not a, a likelihood, but you knew this was pretty possible. So I think Toronto did a good job in having some backup plans. To me, what's what's also unfortunate is there's George Springer has got the oblique strain, too. So there's, like, a bunch of of things going not the right way for Toronto, because as Eno mentioned with oblique strains, those are pesky. Those those can be four to six weeks. Those can be a lot longer than you realize. Grade two is right there in the middle where it's not terrible, but it's not a, a small thing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, to totally take your question and spin it all the way around here, Derek, um, I think they do have some other options. Um I am very concerned about some of the injuries going on around camp, and I wonder if it's a precursor to what we're going to see this year because of the 60-game season, right? Are, are we going to see unprecedented injuries? Because the last few days has, has given me some trepidation uh, regarding what's going to happen here um, coming off of everything that happened last year. Yeah, depth is going to be really important. Um I got bold predictions coming out on Monday, and for that, I did uh, a look at you know how many bodies, um, you know how many good pitching bodies people have. But I think on the hitting side, it's just as important. I mean, that's why Marcus Simeon was such a big deal for the Blue Jays uh, because you know he can't can't play the outfield, but or maybe he can. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> but even if if he's another bat that they can move around, maybe they can play Biggio in the outfield. Uh, with Rowdy Telez, they can uh, play Teoscar in the outfield. Uh, they can survive some days without Springer. Um, they're less uh, ready, I think, on the pitching side to to uh, weather any more injuries. But uh, you know, the teams, the best teams, uh, like the Yankees and the Mets and the Dodgers and the Padres, all have multiple options, veteran and youth at the back end, back end of their starting rotations. Multiple options on the infield and the outfield, and problems like the Talkman Bruce situation where they may have to jettison somebody, but at least that means that they have a full roster and, you know, lots of like it's great to have Talkman. If you have Judge and, um, if you have Judge and Stanton on your team, I think you need to have uh, Mike Talkman. Yeah, given their respective uh, injury track records, that absolutely makes sense. Now, the other issue, I think, for the Jays, they have some pitching injuries in the rotation. We mentioned Thomas Hatch. He's got an elbow issue. Apparently, it's not UCL. Nate Pearson is hurt right now. Robbie Ray is day-to-day. He fell down some stairs, I guess, and bruised his elbow. So, you know, that's obviously a little bit of a concern because they are not deep with starting pitching. As much as I think they have enough quality relievers, their starting pitching depth is very, very suspect. The other AL East reliever injury, though, was Nick Anderson. This one popped up a couple nights ago. It was in the middle of an auction. He came up. Uh, someone paid like $15 for him, which is you know, kind of a lot. And it's interesting because we found out kind of as this was happening that he had just had a bad spring appearance, and he was kind of talking about it. His elbow wasn't right, and now he's going to miss at least the first half of the season. Reports as of Friday morning are saying that Nick Anderson is not going to pitch until after the All-Star break. And he previously had a PRP injection in his elbow. And I don't know if that was really widely known. Uh, Did not know that. Given that he really tapered off in the postseason last year, especially, you know, it, there was definitely a reason for concern entering spring training. The Rays pitching depth is something we talk about excessively. We talked about it pretty much every day for an entire month at the end of the season. <laughs> 
What do they do to close out games? I mean, that's the question everybody wants us to answer. And frankly, I don't think we know. I don't think anyone actually knows because they use so many guys to finish up games that it's probably going to be a little Diego Castillo. It's probably going to be a little Pete Fairbanks like it was in the postseason. It might even be Colin McHugh once in a while or Ryan Thompson. It Three guys could end up with 10 saves in the Rays' bullpen, or seven guys could end up with five saves, and it, I wouldn't be surprised by either one of those outcomes. Shane McClanahan. Yep. Chaz Rowe. I mean, there's another. There's a lot of options, but they use their bullpen more than just about any other team, right? So any as deep as they are, I think any um, injury, any any hit to their depth is significant just because of who they are, right? They're built on the openers. They're built on, hey, let's take Blake Snell out in the fifth inning, no matter what type of type of deal. So I think, you know, I don't think they've announced if he's getting surgery or not, right, Anderson? But I think they're saying uh, no. Okay, but certainly it's. You know, being out through the all-star break is is a significant hit. And when you're trying to spread the load around the way they do, it's such a bullpen heavy team, uh, you wonder. I mean, they, they have a they have such a good farm system. So do you see some of their younger arms promoted early? Like what I, that would be to me be the Ray's esque way of doing it. Either that or picking someone off the scrap heap who nobody wanted, who all of a sudden's throwing ninety-eight. That's another Tampa Bay Rays scenario. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Shane Green is still out there. I, I wonder what who's going to sign, sign Shane Green. I thought maybe it would be the Braves again, but they didn't. Um, if you're just looking for an R, maybe the the Jays uh, sign Green if they've still got some money. Uh, maybe the Rays do. It wouldn't be crazy. Uh, if I had to pick one, I mean, Fairbanks looked pretty good. I think probably Fairbanks. The the thing is, though, if they are monkeying around with arbitration values and, and, and how these guys are going to be paid – then I guess it's Diego Castillo because he has the most saves on his ledger. And so he's already getting expensive, maybe. Good point. Is that why they, is all, that also a tactic as to why they're sp- they spread around? Because I mean, you they, can't... Would, they would never admit it. Sure. It's interesting, though. I think it's one of the benefits, but I think the other reason, the bigger reason, is just getting the right matchups to win. I mean, I think mm. this is closer yeah. to managing the bullpen optimally for the sake of just getting the best hitters out when they come up not entirely hey let's save three or four million in arbitration costs by not having one closer I think that's just a side benefit that's like the cherry on top of the the raise <laughs> bullpen management sunday but it's, it's not it's not the ice cream in that sunday i don't you know as far as injuries go i don't think that they i don't actually think that the way they use their bullpen leads to injury um, I don't think that they they're not they're not out there throwing guys uh, out of the bullpen 85 innings in the way that like Scott Proctor was used. I mean, right. That was 85 innings like you won tonight, one tomorrow, one the next day, one day off, one again. Uh, when a Rays reliever gets 85 innings, it's much more like a starter. It's like a mini starter. It's a guy. He goes three. He gets three days off, you know. Um, I think that they actually do care about injuries. I just think that a lot of the players they get are low command relievers uh, with injury risk already. That's how, that's who they acquire. Why why could they get Peter Fairbanks so so easily? Because he couldn't stay healthy. He'd already had two TJs, I think. So that's why they got Peter Fairbanks. Why did they get Luis Patino so easily? Because he has no command. You know, why did Glass now come over so easy? He has no command. And no command, guys, uh, there is a slight link there to injury. So I, I think they get um, under-desired arms and make the most of them and give them opportunities. Fairbanks could still be in the system in, in Texas and not be, you know, being used uh, because they might still be trying to make him a starter or whatever. So um, I think they give people opportunities. They also use them. I guess, and maybe they get injured, but I think relievers also get injured a lot everywhere. So I, I don't, I don't blame the Rays for and like injury on the arbitration side. I do think that part of what they do, even on offense, will lead to depressed salaries. If if you are Brandon Lau, if you're Mike Brousseau, if you're somebody like that, you're not getting full playing time. Arbitration is how many plate appearances did you get? How many innings pitches do you get? That's the first question. The second, third questions might be strikeout rate, something like that. They don't get that deep. But the first question is always, how many plate appearances do you get? How many innings pitches do you get? How many innings did you play in the field? And what are the Rays going to do? Mitch you around, move you around, you know? 
Um, so you're not going to ever get that expensive. So that, that part might be on design. And I don't love it, but it's the system. Brett Honeywell was back in games this week for the first time in 1,281 days, according to Cespedes Family Barbecue. Uh, four surgeries in that span. Talk about a guy that has gone through hell on the injury front and would be a really nice story to possibly get him, even if he's a reliever at this point. I mean, I think that's more realistic expectation to say, hey, come out, throw 95 in the pen and be a multi-pitch reliever and you've got a spot in the late innings. That wouldn't be all that surprising if he can stay healthy and contribute at a high level here in 2021. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's get to Lance McCullers Jr. He signed an extension with the Astros this week. The Astros were also in talks with Carlos Correa. It doesn't look like a deal's coming together between those two sides at this point. But McCullers gets a five-year, $85 million extension. I think the tricky thing here, I mean, for McCullers, if he's completely healthy and pitching at his ceiling, the open market could have brought him more. But given his injury track record, there's probably a pretty strong pull to go ahead and take that five-year deal. What are your thoughts on this? Is it about right, given all the factors we're talking about here, or should McCullers have pushed it and taken his chances on the open market? Well, I think clearly you're betting on yourself if you're going to be on the open market. Durability has been a factor for him, as you mentioned, and that's something that's really important when teams are investing all this money in free agents. I think if you're an injury-prone guy, you just don't have the market that's there. And certainly for a guy like McCullers, you know, Houston knows him better than anyone else. They know if he's healthy, he's going to be that mid-rotation type of guy. Um, so I, I didn't have a problem with the deal. I thought it was a fine deal. It was good for both sides, more or less. The Astros, interestingly enough, stay under the luxury tax threshold, right? It doesn't kick in this year, which was important to them as well. Um, I also think we're coming on a time where the Astros window is just going to end soon. So McCullers is just going to be kind of that steady presence that maybe carries them through this next rebuild because, you know, you've got a, a roster that certainly uh, the core of that team is, is mostly gone, if not kind of past their prime now. The Astros are in that that really weird spot here. So I, I thought the McCullers deal was, was a fine deal for both sides. I wasn't super excited about it either way. I don't think Correa gets done. I think he's a guy who probably tests the market. That's just my own opinion. Well, he, own he said that. He said that yesterday, basically. Oh, he did. Well, yeah. you know, uh, Carlos and I have like been in lockstep. Preparing for <laughs> preparing to be somewhere else. I forget exactly how he's, what he said, but he, everyone's like, oh, I guess Correa's not signing an extension. Well, that shortstop market, we've talked about this a lot, right? If Lindor signs an extension, I mean, that only helps Correa because there can be more teams that are after him. So, but he'll also be in a mix with a lot of people. The one thing about Correa is that he just I, he could put it together a platform season. You know, he I don't think he has really put together that season yet where he's healthy the whole season and he's performing at his best. So there's still a chance that there's another really great season in there, and I think he could jump off of that and get better than the six and hundred and twenty that he was supposedly offered. So I can understand why Correa might do that. He's also a position player, so. You know, uh, I think if he had a full se- healthy season, he could make the argument that, oh, look, I, I've been mostly healthy. This all this me being hurt, it's not, it's overblown. Whereas McCullers, if he's healthy this season, people will be like, well, that's the first time you were healthy. 
you haven't done 150 yeah. innings before. That was the first time. I can't I can't give you a Cole or a you know even if he'd had a really good season, I can't give you one of these big contracts because you just you only have one year or two years now, 150 innings. And if he doesn't make 150 innings, then he's looking at like oh well I, we'll give you like two and thirty or something and see if you're healthy, you know. So I, I yeah it's a little, it's a little bit different sliding for pitchers versus hitters out there. So. I can I can totally see this. Uh, as for the Astros and core and stuff, I hear you on the offensive side. The weird thing is that like I could see them like having a pitching strength now. Like I'm like I'm kind of a big fan of Javier Garcia. Uh, I don't know, I did that wrong. Luis Garcia, <laughs> Christian Javier, Javier comma Garcia, Urquidy, uh, uh, um, and and McCullers as a as a pitching core. Um, so maybe they turn around now and buy hitting. Um, to supplement cheap pitchers. So if if they pull that... And, like, it's been really hard. The only teams that stay competitive year in and year out stay near the luxury tax um, and have these sorts of ebbs and flows where sometimes it's the young pitching, sometimes it's the young hitting. I'm talking about the Yankees and the Dodgers, basically. Um, and so if the Astros pull off the magic trick, the magic trick is their pitching is good and young and cheap and they start spending on hitting. You're right. Yeah, that's true. It's kind of like the Indians, right? They seem to always have pitching because it comes from within the organization. Um, but they're a small market team who never can really afford or claim to afford uh, to support the rest of the team. So they languish in that maybe if everything goes right, we'll be good land. But we're not but we're not a hundred lost team ever. Land. Yeah, my fan. Yeah, no, you're right. They do pull the magic trick a little bit. It's it doesn't it doesn't reach the same heights because they don't live near the luxury tax. They don't actually spend like everybody else. But they do pull the magic trick of being of being competitive most years. My my fantasy teams, by just as an aside, are often run like the Indians. I always have pitching, and I'm always trying to trade pitching, and I always trade pitching for hitting, and my hitting is never enough. <laughs> so, and do you uh, give Francisco Lindor away too? Or no, I did. I have given away uh, people in the past. I had, I did. I have a terrible Mookie Betts trade on my that makes that haunts me in my dreams still to this day. Um, it's so funny you bring him up. I was, so I was at dinner with a couple scouts in Arizona and they were kind of going around the table talking about their biggest misses. I think I might make this an article cause it's kind of fun, right? Like uh -huh. what player did you miss on? And one of the guys was like, yeah, Mookie Betts thought he was an up down guy. And it's like, can you imagine, um, what a miss? But, uh, you know, there's also great success stories too, but I thought nobody ever admits they're wrong. Certainly not writers. It'd be really nice just to be like, you know what? I was wrong about this, 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 and this. It might be kind of fun. No, I like I, I one of the things that you know, I really respect about Keith Law is he, you know, he usually has a piece uh, the guys he was wrong on. Um, you know, I tried to at least in this podcast admit that uh, you know Alan Webster. I hate you, Alan Webster. No, I don't hate you, Alan Webster, as a person. I hate Alan Webster as a concept. That was the days before I understood that command mattered. <laughs> It's just interesting. I mean, DVR, can you think of anyone offhand who you were like, oh, this guy's not very good, who ended up being ridiculous? Oh, yeah, there's got to there's be somebody I didn't like in the top of the pool right now who I wasn't sure of at all. Uh, it wasn't Mookie. It wasn't wasn't at that level. I mean, I'll admit when the Brewers traded for Yelich, I thought they were just getting a guy that was going to be a really steady one or two hitter, good OBP, good power. I didn't think he was going to be an MVP. So I feel like that's a, a small miss on my part for not expecting him to take one more step forward. And who who's the best player in the pool right now who I didn't think was going to be good? That's a great question. I was thinking about pitching. So right now I'm looking at the top and the guy that um, I probably was out on the most that's in the, in the top now is Lucas Giolito. And... Um, which I think, you know, in my defense, I think, you know, I look at stuff and I look at movement numbers and stuff. And like when he came over from the Nationals, all the stuff that he supposedly had went away. So he did not have a high riding fastball. He lost a bunch of velocity. The curveball wasn't good by movement. So I was like, none of the stuff that he supposedly has is there. And then he goes and finds his old arm slot and works with his old pitching coach. And now when I look at his, his movement numbers, I'm like, oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. Uh, now I feel like a Dumbo. But uh, but there was a time when I thought uh, him and Reynaldo Lopez were both uh, not going to work out. And uh, I was only half right. I got one, yeah. a good recent one. Shane Bieber. 
When Shane Bieber first came up and I looked at his profile, he reminded me of Mike Fires on paper. And mm. I said, he's a command guy. He's going to chew up innings. He's probably a number four, number five starter. High probably the kind of, and probably the kind of guy that like, he doesn't walk anybody, but his stuff's not good enough to be in the zone in the big league. So the home run rate's going to go through the roof, and he's going to be like a really frustrating guy because in some metrics he's going to pop, but he's just never going to be that good. And I mean, could I be more wrong? Like Shane Bieber is incredible, and <laughs> in I, your defense, I didn't see that coming. Four now, <laughs> he's throwing ninety four uh, now, and when he came up, he wasn't throwing ninety four, and when he's in the minors, he wasn't throwing ninety four. So. Yeah. yeah. So on it's paper, hard. It- on, on paper, Shane Bieber, he came up around the same time Joey Lucchese debuted. And I, I watched like video of both and looked at him like, okay, Lucchese is kind of funky. He's got this robotic delivery. And I, I don't really know where it's going. But to me, they're both in the same cat, even though they do it different ways. They're both the kinds of guys that you don't even like from a fantasy perspective unless they're pitching against a bad team. And they're not going to be anything more than that. They're streamers. They're up and down off the roster in fantasy. And. They're good for real-life teams, but never guys we're going to be excited about. And it's kind of funny that Lucchese has become one of the worst starting pitchers in the league. So I was kind of right on that like from the beginning. <laughs> but I was so wrong on Bieber that I, I don't feel any sense of satisfaction about being right about Lucchese. I always remember the guys I pumped up that didn't work out. Like Michael Fulmer, man. Hmm. Yeah. How about you, Britt? Who's, who's your big miss from the last five, ten years? So, well, I mean, part of this is because I was around that team every day, but like the Trey Mancini, you just kept hearing was a 4A guy. And what's interesting is because nobody thought he was going to be anything, the Orioles, nobody, like nobody was super impressed with him in spring training. He seemed like the quintessential hit a bunch of home runs in spring training, get exposed at the big league level. Because of that, they signed Chris Davis to this mammoth deal. And now they're stuck with Chris Davis and it's all because they overlooked Trey Mancini, and nobody could blame them. I mean, he, you just weren't super impressed by him. And I mean, now he's a terrific story, obviously, but you know, he had to go to the outfield so they could create a space for him because they overlooked him and signed Chris Davis. So it's fascinating when you look at like who you overlooked and then what the ramifications for each team were within that as well. And I remember even in Baltimore, Zach Britton was a guy who almost got DFA'd that one spring he was out of options because, and you kind of, same thing with Bieber, he he didn't look right. He had, he didn't have the stuff. He was short arming his delivery and scouts were like, this guy would easily clear waivers. And then of course now he, you know, he goes on to the Yankees, gets 50 million guaranteed. So it, it's fascinating. I think people don't realize one, how hard it is to evaluate players and two, what a moving target it is. Yes. Right? Because that's, that's the you, huge you, thing. Yeah, like you never thing. know who's hurt. Yeah. Like, I feel like I was right, given that information. Now I look at him and I'm like, yeah, he's good. <laughs> yes. Congratulations. Yeah, good just... job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, Who are you talking a, about with the 50 million? Exercise. Britain. Britain, yeah. Uh, um, he almost didn't make the team his final year. I mean, he looked terrible. And so I think it's just fascinating. Maybe I'll eventually do an article like, we were all wrong and everyone has their worst mistakes in there because it's kind of fun to to sit back and admit it. Um, it's just funny that Scout totally owned it. He was like, yeah, Mookie Betts. I thought he was an up-down guy at best. I mean, yeah. can well, you imagine you know, writing that? In, your- in the minors, he didn't show that same power. Like, we just, I think if you didn't right. think he had power, you'd be like, well, he's, he controls his own well, but is he a true second baseman? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's... I mean, I imagine like looking at Jose Altuve and turning him away multiple times when you're at the the complex in Houston, like the Dominican complex for the Astros. Like they told him to go home multiple times because (laughs) of just his physical stature. Like that was their only reason. Like he keeps showing up. He just keeps showing up. Yeah. (laughs) Keeps hitting dongs. Shut up. Go away. Why is why is this little guy (laughs) here like hitting the ball over the place? We didn't even invite him, and he just keeps showing up every day for these workouts. Raking. (laughs) Yeah, it's like Dustin Pedroia. You can't tell me that everyone thought that guy was going to have the career he did. You know, that's a good point. Uh, It's it's, it's interesting. You know who I I don't believe in at all right now that some people like is Nick Madrigal. Like I know the batting average is great, and he makes a ton of contact. I just I don't see it with Nick Madrigal. So. I've had a hitting coach tell me he thinks that the bat will be knocked out of his hand. Yeah, just, I mean, I they'll, get they'll it. Just fill up the zone, and he won't. He won't be able to do anything with it. So when he's like, that's a, how I feel about a uh, Carter Keboom with the Nats. Like, 
just not impressive and I don't if see you don't, it getting better. I, I think there's something too. Like if you can't, I mean, exit velocity can be fetishized and stuff, but if you can't hit the ball hard, then your your avenue to value is just so slim. I mean, that's the thing with Mookie Betts, right? Like they didn't think they could hit the ball hard. So yeah. then it's just, just walks, you know? And just walks doesn't even really work that well because if they're not afraid of you, they'll fill up the zone. And, you know, they'll get more confident. And then, then it's even harder to get the walks. Kind of circling back to where this sprung up for a second. If we've believed in Carlos Correa for the last three or so years, have we been wrong the entire time because of injuries? Like, are injuries a fair out clause for saying, I think this player can be a 30-homer guy, middle-of-the-order bat, fantasy, an early-round pick. You know, if, if you miss because of injuries, do you just get a free pass? Or is Carlos Correa someone we're actually wrong about when you look at some of the per-game numbers over the last three seasons? I mean, he's had pretty ugly power output in 2018 and in 2020. He slugged 405 in 2018. He slugged 383 in the shortened season. Like, there are... Yeah, but 30% above average for his career with the bat. He's good. I think he's really good, but I just I keep drafting him year over year, and I keep getting less than I expect. So I I don't know why I keep falling into that trap. I mean, I think it goes to what Britt's saying: is it's just really hard. It's a moving target. It's a you know how healthy are they when you get your look, and 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 how healthy are they after that? I think even I said that with the Tatis thing. The biggest risk for the Tatis signing is not that he's not good; it's that he's just not healthy all the time. Right, and he breaks down at the shoulder issue that apparently he's had kind of lingering for a little while. Like apparently, like that's been. But the there. team was like, we we did look into this. They looked at it. So <laughs> we did just give him three hundred million dollars. Like so we looked yeah. at this. <laughs> they must not think it's that likely that it gets a lot worse. But it's there. It's still something you have to be mindful of. I mean, yeah, I, I think. Look, I think Carlos Correa, where he's going in fantasy drafts this year, is the type of player that helps you win a league because he's so affordable. And he could be a $30 player. He could be a second or third round pick going to next season. You get him in the seventh or eighth round right now. You get him for 10 to 12 bucks in an auction. That's a huge profit. He's in the heart of the order. The lineup is still good. And Houston's future, a lot of it, and they've got the young pitching, a lot of it's tied to the health of Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez is a special hitter. Yeah. I don't think there's even an argument against that. But I am terrified of a player in his early 20s with bad knees already we're talking about a guy that doesn't even have to play defense and we're worried about him staying on the field. Like there's a lot connected to just how healthy he is in the next few years as far as the the overall track for the Houston core. Yeah. That's sort of how I feel about Tatis. Like, yeah, we knew about the shoulder injury. Okay, well, he's like ten years old. His shoulder already hurts. I don't know. That's a position where you're gonna throw a lot. You're gonna be in the action a lot. You're gonna I mean now you're going to manage it for the next 10 years? As all three of us know, once you hit your 30s, I mean, it's totally downhill. I mean, every ache and pain. Your 40s. back hurts. I mean, I mean, your back hurts just from sleeping. So I don't, I don't know. I just, uh, if you're not like young and invincible and bulletproof and you're already having some aches and pains that early on in your career, I am alarmed. I don't care who it is. Yeah, but I guess that the, apparently there's also some of the stuff that he's gotten is he's gotten from growth spurts while you're being athletic so mm. like the back injury he got apparently is something that happens to people that are super athletic and then grow while they're being athletic so uh, it could just i think that's what they're saying is he'll just grow out of it like he'll just now he'll be the same size the rest going forward like he's i don't know it's it that's how it was explained to me the back thing was that it was common among people that grow up and it didn't have bad outcomes. But you add it all together, it's not just the back thing. He's had a thumb thing, a back thing, shoulder thing. I'm not I don't I'm not here to poo-poo on Tati's future. Let's all let's all let's all think rosy thoughts about his future. One thing though that I think about when I see this is spring training is too damn long, man. Like why Amen. Are we, why are we doing this? Why I understand that the players aren't get, aren't paid, and so the owners can get some some um, some windfall from this. And I do I did actually get pushback I, when I was saying this um, recently to a, a team exec. He said, "Well, the pitchers do need six weeks to get stretched out." And I said, "Well, you know, you ask them, you have you give them programs when they leave, right? You you're you're in touch with them. Pitching is like a year round thing." Uh, and he's like. 
he's like, yeah, maybe with the older guys, but like depending on the younger guys to show up stretched out enough to like throw three innings or something, I think would be a bad idea. So I guess the pitchers yeah. need six weeks. I don't know. I think if you told all the pitchers, here's a throwing program, start in February, we want you to show up ready to throw three innings. You could have a three-week spring training. Yes, except here's the flip side of that. And uh, I, I would agree with you, you know, except I had dinner with someone in Arizona um, who was a team executive, and they mentioned the fact that, what I didn't realize, teams can't make guys do anything in the offseason. Yeah, not officially. Not officially, and there's no blowback for not doing it, right? No official blowback. So right. what you can't say is, hey, we need you to do this, this, and this, and show up being ready to pitch three innings because you're going to have these wildly different things. Now, players know that and understand that, and there is a big push, apparently, in the next CBA for players to be paid for these off-season programs. If you're going to say, hey, you have to go to Eric Cressy's, we need to fix you. You have to go to Driveline, we need to fix you. Those players should be paid and put on programs, and then you could shorten spring training. Then you know what all these guys are doing. Then you have control over these investments. At least do per diem and, and housing, right? Like. Right. At least give them, make sure that they're paid for, that whole thing is paid for. I think that would be huge because you're asking, I do too. you're talking about Latin kids coming over that have no money and, and driveline costs money. You know, like you got to help them do this. You can't just be like, ah, right. you know, and this is yeah. also a direct consequence of that BS. These guys are seasonal apprentices in the minor leagues. And, you know, so therefore we don't have to pay them on a, on a yearly salary because they, they only really work three months out of the year. Blah, 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 blah. You get what you paid for, man. Yep. And God. what people don't realize, they push the minor leagues back a month this year. That's another month that the lowest played employees are not getting paid. The minor league guys are not getting paid another month. Yeah. So they're supposed to show up to camp um, totally in lockstep, right? In shape, ready to go, whatever, when they've got had not gotten paid. Many of them have had to take care of their families during this time, had to find another source of income. But they're supposed to show up as pro athletes a month later and be ready to go. And the, and the cutting of the minor leagues, what happens is, what I've heard mostly will happen, is that they'll just have more complex ball, right? They'll just have more people at the complex. Like, apparently the Diamondbacks were notorious for this and had, like, 85 kids at the complex, right? And there's no teams there, quote-unquote, right? So there's nobody being paid. It's extended mm. yep. spring training. Extended right. spring training is free, you know? And, and yeah, okay, you house them and you pay and, and, you, and you give them food. All right, I understand that has value, but it doesn't... It doesn't like pay the cable bill, you know, like it does, like yeah. what, they, they have to have some other source of income to live um, unless right. you just want them to be automatons. They play baseball. We put food in their mouth and we put them on a bed and that's that's their life. I mean, yes, that's what they want, I guess. The guys who live in the DR, are they supposed to choose between seeing their families during the off season and staying at the complex where they don't get paid just because they get food? Right, like, that's insane, right. right? But so they're expected to go to the DR, not get paid, but still be in shape and spend all the money on this, this, and this. And so I think I, I would welcome personally, and I know a lot of players would, the CBA getting them paid in the offseason. And, and then you can mandate offseason stuff. It's a win-win. Then you can mandate that these guys follow these programs. And then you can actually control what they're doing in the offseason. And you don't have guys showing up to camp 20 pounds overweight. Or you don't have a Victor Robles situation where he thinks he needs to add muscle. And in fact, he looks terrible and nobody wants him to do that. Like, you can eliminate a lot of this stuff. And they these are year-round employees, man. They, they totally are. are. It's they a year-round job. This is not the 1950s. Nobody's shoe right. shining in the off season, you know. No, just just no. make it work. Like just build the structure around the game that pays people for the full year. But then you're also training the players yourselves. You're not relying on people to do things on their own. It's that's that's where the game seemingly has evolved to. And that also know. opens up things, structures like the playoffs and uh, spring training for more collective bargaining type discussions, right? Because now you're a year-round employee, so spring training is on the table. It's something we can talk about if the players really are passionate. I don't even know if the players are passionate. I think hitters would like spring training to be <laughs> three weeks long. <laughs> and But maybe pitchers are okay with it. I don't know. Um, but uh, but nobody likes the not being paid for it, partially. But if you just say, like, okay, we pay you for a year. Like, this salary we give you is for a year. Right. Then, then there's more negotiation about, like, what can we put in there about... 
what will you pay for me to go to driveline every year? You know, will you pay for me to go here? Will you pay for me to go to Cressy's thing? Um, you know, then you can put that in your contract. Right. And then, so now that everything's on the table and everyone, everyone knows you're not a seasonal apprentice. Yeah. It's, exactly. We're way past that. <laughs> we, we've gotten, <laughs> we've gotten way off topic today, but it's been really interesting, really interesting discussion. Like so, what if our jobs still with us? tried you. to pay us and we're like, well, we're only going to pay you for, you know, when the season's on because, you know, you're a baseball writer. It'd be weird. It'd be, right be a little here. weird. Yeah. I award you a 100 for that segue. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm, 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 I'm here. I'm here for these points. I don't know what I can redeem them for, but I would like to collect them and hopefully redeem them for something of greater value down the road. An NFT of me doing... One hundred. <laughs> Do it one more time. <laughs> one hundred. <laughs> See, the, the impressive thing is that it comes out correctly on the screen too. You actually drew it right for my look. You didn't draw. Well, it I, I had a little bit of time to think about. <laughs> I, you did have a little bit of time to think about that, but it's important. We have to pay bills here. Very important. Uh, some. Yeah. Some fun news I wanted to get to as we uh, get ready to go. Uh, the Tigers are going to open the season with Tarek Skubal and Casey Mize in the rotation. They're going to put Michael Fulmer in the bullpen. He was touching 96th this week, so you know you may have been wrong about him a few years ago, Eno, but he might be pretty fun working as a reliever. Uh, they're going to put Matthew Boyd, Jose Urania, and Julio Tehran as their other three starters for now. Spencer Turnbull opens the year on the IL. Matt Manning, probably not far away from joining the mix as a starter, so... I haven't seen this in research, and I wonder if somebody uh, has the time to do it or if I will. But um, it, what I have noticed with guys that transition to the bullpen from starting is that they don't always get the full velocity boost in the first year. Hmm. Um, there's something about training to be a reliever versus training to be a starter. So I think maybe next year, Fulmer would be a very interesting acquisition for someone um, if he's – I don't know where, where he stands on his contract, but – uh, next year would be an interesting time to see Ken Fulmer throw 98 in the bullpen. Because one of the things was his changeup was never that good uh, and his command's not that good. One of the things that kept him from being who he is. But dude, as a reliever, 98 with that slider, I think he could be very good. So Yeah. I mean, here's what's cool, guys. The Tigers aren't going to win this year. They're not going to probably win next year. Probably on like a closer to a three to four year plan. But they're gonna. there's people to watch. If you're going to be bad... You should be entertaining. You should at least give your fans a reason to come to the stadium, whereas the Orioles, um, I really struggle to find a reason where, you know, we live in the Baltimore area still, and I, I struggle to be like, you know what? Let's go buy tickets and see. Matt Harvey. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> what do you got there? I guess Felix Hernandez is a, is a fan favorite. He might have he might have uh, been fun, but he would he was throwing eighty three. Rather, why yeah. don't you give younger guys a chat? Why don't you give Michael Bauman a chat a chance? You know, as opposed to running out uh, Matt Harvey and Felix Hernandez. I, I I I agree with you, and I just did some research for um, these bold predictions, and I mentioned uh, how many arms do uh, that that are projected to have above average era does every team have and number one is the mets with 21 and number 30 are the orioles with seven Uh, there's a little bit of bias there because of the ballpark right (laughs) i use era i I could have used some sort of park adjusted era however i think it does actually uh kind of capture the issue in baltimore they're they're turning out some interesting bats in you know Hayes, I like DJ Stewart. Um, you know, there's there's some guys coming up through Santander is fine. Um, they've got they've got some other guys coming up. I like Yusniel Diaz still, but um, there's a lot of outfielders, a lot of bats without maybe a position to go to. Um, I like Kramer and Aiken a little bit, but uh, there's still this weird thing where you're like, shouldn't you guys have more prospects by now? Mm-hmm. They're getting close. They, they're just like another year away from giving Adley Rutschman that shot and letting Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall have spots in the rotation. There I bet D.L. Hall is really happy that we call the injured list the I.L. now, by the way. Like, that's just a, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a right. horrible, horrible be name a, a for a living pitcher. reminder to me for me to call it the I.L. <laughs> Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall are both interesting, but I don't see 
them getting into the big leagues this year. That's the problem. Like if you put those guys in the mix and then have Means and Aiken and Kramer, Bauman, whoever else you want to mix in, that's could they, kind of fun starting five. Could they be in the yeah. big leagues if like if they were the Tigers? If they were just like, okay, let's put them in the big leagues. Could they be in the big leagues? Maybe. They yeah, I mean pitching's like, different. You you can't you can't wait forever on your pitching. If your pitching is ready, then just let those guys pitch in the big leagues and then put the other pieces around them. That's what a farm director was saying that that the COVID one of the things that it blown up his idea of like where he should put people and he said if my pitchers have pitch have major league pitch grades on them if like if we're giving them major league ready pitch grades then they should be in the major leagues probably. Um, That's true. And, and I mean, so, but there's always the complication of like yeah they're not going to be any good. Isn't there something to be said of learning at that level rather than and also as an organization you have to sort through these guys. I mean I I, I that's a mean way of saying it if you if you're pro, pro player and I'm generally pro player but not everyone's going to work out so you can't just hoard prospects and in the minor leagues and not use them and be like oh when we, when we finally play all these guys we'll be good no because some of those guys won't work out and you didn't right. go through the process of like figuring out who's going to be good and you didn't get a minor league system last year to even see so you really have no clue <laughs> exactly so I think on some on some level, you got to start playing guys and start seeing if you're building something and start seeing if you're putting something together. The worst case scenario is you misjudge by a year or two on each end, and you have to do some trades. It's okay. If you produce quality major leaguers, you can trade them for other quality major leaguers. It's okay. Um, you know, not everything has to be about that sixth and seventh year of, of team command. How many teams are good for seven years in a row? Not many. Um, can you imagine how much egg on your face you'd have if you called up Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall too early? You'd just look like such an idiot. You'd get laughed at at all the GM meetings for the rest of your life. Who could would deal you? with that sort of humiliation? No, of course not. It's ridiculous. You should promote your no. good prospects this year. Watch every other team screw up their development because they're hoarding players. Have to DFA guys that they shouldn't DFA, and That's then pick right. up those guys. So, yep. like, get your good guys the big league time and just be there ready to collect the guys that everybody else screws up on because teams are just clinging to everyone. Why do the Padres make so many trades all of a sudden? Some of those guys were approaching DFA, you know, and they had been hoarding to some extent. They kind of did okay with it, though. I mean, I think, you know, they traded a bunch of guys. They did what they had to do. Also, AJ Preller wants to win. You can't say that about every GM. He wants to win more than anything else. And it's not always the case, unfortunately, um, around baseball. So... Well, more on the most exciting teams to watch in 2021 in our next episode together, kind of part of our (laughs) our season preview. But a couple more things as we step out the door. A hearty congratulations to Gio Gonzalez on his retirement. I've seen a few writers say that Gio was a friend of the writers uh, during his time in the big leagues. So all the best to him as he heads into retirement. And there's actually a connection here to a piece that Eno wrote this week asking the age-old question, does a pitcher's command improve with age? Like The first lines of the story you know, were my hypothesis. Like, oh, if you do something over and over and over and over again, you have to get better over time, right? Uh, wasn't necessarily that straightforward, though. <laughs> no, it didn't end up being that straightforward. And it, it, it is really interesting that Gio, one thing that he said that I should have put in the piece was that um, he thought that command of secondaries improved over time. So that there is still, still something to be teased out there, possibly, because we do have command plus by pitch type. So maybe uh, fastball command stays relatively steady, but secondary pitch uh, command goes up. Gio said, you don't throw your secondaries a ton in bullpens, right? And so if you're not throwing your secondaries a ton in bullpens, you're not practicing them in, except in game situations. So the only way to really improve, you know, you're not going to improve it much in the offseason if you're just working on the fastball command in the offseason and stuff like that. So um, he said that basically his changeup and uh, and remember when Gio came in, he was supposedly didn't have the command to make it. You know, that like, was the knock. He, the command was so yeah. bad that he wasn't going to be able to make it. He he got a lot better at commanding his secondaries over time. And he said it was just throwing them a lot in 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 uh, games, but you also see with Geo and with other pitchers, um, you know, I brought up you say Kikuchi because um, as you get older, you your stuff gets worse, and you so you start either uh, putting a new pitch into your repertoire or um, you have injuries, you're compensating for an injury, and so there are these things that uh, made it not so clear. 
it looks like command only improves a tiny bit. And either that's because you have innate command and you can't really improve it that much, or it's because as you're improving your command, your body's getting worse, you have to, your arm slot is dropping, your your lat is hurting, or whatever it is, and so you're always compensating, and so it's not always clear that command gets better over age. Um, so there's just a lot of different, like new pitches, injuries, new coaching strategies. There's all these different things that can impact uh, how your command plays out in games. Um, and so, I don't know, I thought it was a, it was a fun piece to sort of uh, actually, in the end, explore why it wasn't more clear that command uh, improves over age. Yeah, it was super, super interesting. I would definitely recommend people checking it out because, you know, digs into those nuances and those stats better than anyone I know. So definitely worth your time. Maybe we'll crowdsource our most exciting teams to watch in 2021. I'll put it out there on Twitter in the form of, aside from your favorite team, what (laughs) teams are you most excited to watch in 2021? We'll get a feel for who everybody out there is excited to watch this season and who we are excited to watch this season. Uh, if you want to get in on the Twitter fun, I'm at Derek Van Riper. She's at Brit underscore Giroli. He is at Eno Saris. You can always send us an email. Rates and barrels at theathletic.com is the best way to get that to us. And as I mentioned earlier, $1 a month gets you in the door. You want to read Eno stuff, Brit stuff, all of our fantasy baseball coverage, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels is the way to get that special offer that is going to wrap things up for this episode of rates and barrels good luck with your drafts this weekend we are back with you on monday thanks for listening 